First Samuel chapter 6, verse 10. And the men did so and took two milk cows. Two milk cows. We want to consider this story this morning. Now in the previous sermon, we sat in and listened to the debate that went on in the council hall of Akron, as described in verses 1 through to 9. And the subject was, how do we send the ark of God back again to Israel? And now that counsel that they come up with is being carried out to the letter. And the men did so. And at the heart of this counsel, these two cows. So in verses 10 to 12, we have the cows beginning the journey, the journey out of Akron, it's described. And then the verses 13 to 18, the arrival of the cart being pulled by the cows at its destination in Beth Shemesh is narrated. So let's first get a clear picture of this vehicle on the move. Because that's what the camera is focusing on. That's what the Holy Spirit is drawing attention to, the ark in transit. And the camera's on it as it moves and makes its journey. Driven along amazingly by these two cows. Now it's clear that the Lord goes along with this pagan contraption. We saw the folly of it all. But the Philistines have something in mind about it. And the Lord goes along with it to bring the ark back to Israel. Now the thing about the cart is the Holy Spirit tells us it's newly made. They give something to the ark that has never been used before, never been driven before, never a man had sat on it. And that's what is used to carry the ark of the covenant. And this cart that comes out with the ark upon it, it's bearing images of gold. It's bearing images of the hammerods, the tumors as they are, and the mice. This trespass offering, again, is not biblical, but it's the darkness of the heathen. They don't know any better. They don't know any other way. They know this much, not to put it in the ark. They don't lift the mercy seat lid, and they don't put it into the ark, but they put it beside it, their trespass offering to make atonement for them. They don't want to unleash any more plagues, so they don't tamper with the ark, and they want to try to make an atonement before it. So these... Golden offerings are beside the ark for their, for their atonement in their darkness and in their ignorance. But the main thing is these cows that are driving the ark. Two cows are chosen. Their udders are full of milk. And their calves are, are locked up at home. They're separated from their children. And they're tied to the cart. And they've, they've never been yoked before. They've never been together before yoked. They've never been tied to a cart to pull a cart before. They're ignorant about all of this. And this is what they choose. The Philistines to pull the ark. 
And as well as that, the five Philistine lords, they're coming up behind, they're following the ark, they're watching, they're observing, and they're keeping an eye to see what happens. So that's more or less what we have in verses 10 to 12. And then in the verses following, we have the, the arrival of this ark. That, that's the picture. So all eyes, that's the thing, all eyes are watching this, all eyes are upon this, There's an emphasis in the chapter about seeing it. The Philistine lords are are watching it. They're observing it. They're following it. They keep their eyes on everything. And then when it arrives at Beshemesh, the people of Beshemesh who are doing their harvest, they lift up their eyes, the Bible says, and they see it. They see the ark of God coming as well. And they're rejoicing. So there's an emphasis on the seeing, on the watching. And that's what I want to speak about. What, what the Philistine lords, what they saw in their mind's eye, and what the Beshemites, what they saw in their mind's eye, and then at the end, I'm going to go to our eyes. What do you see? Do you see what the Lord wants you to see this morning? So we're focusing our gaze. And may the Lord help us. And may he give us eyes of understanding to profit from his holy word. The Philistine eyes, first of all. As I said, they're very much on the scene. The five lords and their eyes. And those are the five lords of the five great cities. There's a lord from every city. They're the leaders. They're the heads of state. And they're watching carefully so they can go back to Akron. And give a report of what they have seen to the people of Philistia. So what are they watching for? What is it that they particularly want to see? They want to see proof of God's hand. What does it say there verse 9? If it goeth up by the way of his own coast to Beshemish, then God hath done this great evil. But if not, then we shall know it is not his hand at all that has been upon us. But it was just chance. It was just accident. It was just nature. So they want to see, was it really God who sent that plague? Was it really God who gave them the tumors? Was it really God who multiplied the mice and put their harvests in danger? So they're watching carefully. To see God's hand. If he's truly Jehovah the God of all the earth. That's why they have designed this contraption the way that they have. To prove God's hand. You see the cows that are chosen they're full of milk and their udders. And and they won't naturally leave their calves. They will hear them crying and they'll go that direction. They'll pull that direction. And These cows have never been yoked together. They've never worked together. They've never pulled any cart. They've never pulled a heavy load. They're they're foreign to that. Beshemish is uphill. You have to go into the hill country. This is all against their nature, against their grain. And so if they go the straight course to Beshemish, that will be a miracle. So they're making it as hard as possible for God. And they're watching to see what happens To see if there's any indication. This is not the hand of God at all. And God doesn't disappoint them. He lets them see their hand. 
at every turn, every part of the way, every part of the road. It's God's hand. It goes a straight course. It doesn't go left or right. It goes a straight course. And the Lord shows himself the sovereign over the beasts, the sovereign over the mice, the sovereign over the tumors that afflict the body and the hemorrhoids or whatever they were. Now, we're not allowed to test God like this congregation. And don't you ever think of testing the Lord like that. We have the Bible. We don't have to tempt and test God. We don't have to ask for signs. He gives us the Bible. He gives us the indwelling of his Holy Spirit. We are taught right from wrong on the way ahead by the Scriptures. So we don't need any of this testing God business. But they don't have the Bible as we saw on Wednesday night. They're in darkness. And God has made a lance for them. This ignorance God has waked up in the past. But he doesn't do it anymore. Doesn't do it anymore. So he shows them his hand. He goes along with their contraption. And now they know. The cows speak to them. And the cows are saying. This is God's hand. The cows are saying. We're in the hand of God. We can't go back to our children where we want to do. We can't go back there where we want to go. We have to go to the land of promise. Because God's hand is is driving us. He's driving the cart to the land of promise. So the Lord making the cows to be the teachers of Philistia. And to be our teachers this morning too. You remember Job said, ask the beasts. And they'll teach thee. And we're going to ask these cows what what, what the Lord has to say to us this morning. So the Lord is good and gracious, isn't he, to the Philistines? To let them see and know this is his hand. He's been merciful. He doesn't want to leave them in the darkness. He wants them to give them something more of the light of nature. Though it has not power to save their souls. Only the word can save their souls. But he, in his grace... His common grace, he gives them the light of nature and something that they may have understanding. And so he stoops to teach the wicked so they can't deny his hand. But what will they do with the knowledge? That's the question, really. The Lord is so good to teach them and to show his hand. This is my hand. But what will those lords do with the knowledge? And that's the most important question of all. When the Lord shows you something, what do you do with that knowledge that he gives to you? You remember Elijah? He came unto the people and God had revealed his mighty hand in the burnt offering, the sacrifice. The the prophets of Baal were seen to be false and the Lord was seen to be true. And what did Elijah say? What are you going to do now with all of that knowledge? How long will you halt between two opinions? If the Lord's God then serve him, and if Baal's God serve him, if the knowledge is before you, what will you do with it? Will you serve the Lord? Will you serve the Lord? So you know now who, you, who is God, you Philistine lords. Not Dagon. The Lord chopped off his head and chopped off his hands. And now he's proved to you beyond the shadow of a doubt. He's the most sovereign high God. What are you going to do now, you Philistine lords? What are you going to tell your people? Are you going to go back and say, Dagon's no God. Dagon's truly handless. We've seen the Lord. 
We're going to do, do away with Dagon. We're going to pull down his temples. And we're going to go and serve the God of Israel. Do they say that? No, I don't think so. Because later on in Samuel, the war goes on. The Philistines go on fighting. They don't serve the Lord. They still worship their Dagon. They don't turn. They go back to their gods. Even those cows wouldn't go back to their children. Even those cows wouldn't go back to the land. Because the Lord drove them on to the land of promise. Even though their children were there. But the Philistine lords, they go back. They go back to the Philistines. And therefore staying there. No matter about the hand of God. Sinners are like that, you know. They get in trouble. They seek God. They ask for his hand. They ask for his intervention. They want to be delivered from the trauma. They want to be delivered from the experience. From the terrible affliction. From these awful judgments. But whenever they're delivered from it and God removes his heavy hand, what do they do? They just go back. They go back to their gods. Afflictions don't change your heart. Afflictions don't change your nature. Afflictions don't regenerate. Troubles and trials leave the person the same unless the mighty word of God and the Holy Spirit is working with them. Accompanying those trials in grace. So the dark providences don't regenerate. How many people have you heard tell of? They've got cancer. They've got a terrible sickness. They cry under God. It's removed. They're delivered. And they're back again in Philistia. With the same old gods. Nothing changed. And that's the story of the Philistine eyes. I saw it. But it didn't make a tuppence difference. Still the same old Philistia. And it's sad. Sad to watch. And how we need to pray that the Holy Spirit will come down on men. And that the word of God will work in their hearts. That's a true way to pray that men may be saved. But now let's think about the Israelite eyes. The Israelite eyes are described in verse 13. They of Beth Shemesh were reaping their wheat harvest in the valley. And they lifted up their eyes and saw the ark. And what a strange sight it must have been to them too. But they rejoiced at the sight of it. Now their, their joy was soon turned to sorrow, as we'll see. But at this particular moment, as they observed it coming, they're rejoicing. They're glad. But this response is different from the Philistines. The Philistines, they want to see the ark go. They want to get rid of the ark. They want to watch it going far away. But the, the believers... The people of God, oh, they want to see the ark coming back. They're rejoicing to see it coming back. They're rejoicing to see it returning. So there's different emotions. The ark's coming back. It's been seven long months without the Lord, without his presence, with no sight of his glory. Seven months without God. But he's coming back. And they're, they're glad. Oh, they've missed the Lord. And maybe they've been praying. As we so often read in the Psalms, whenever people miss the Lord, and maybe the Lord goes away for a season and leaves them to themselves, and they say, Oh, how long, O oh Lord? How long will you forget us? How long will you hide your face from us? It's been seven months. And then maybe they've been praying and saying, Lord, show your face. Come again, Lord, to the land. Why do you hide your face, Lord? Why do you forget our affliction and oppression? Return. Don't we sometimes sing, return, O Holy Ghost, return. 
sweet messenger of rest. We hate the sins that made thee mourn and drove thee from our breast. And so we have to wait for the Lord and we have to pray for his return, his coming again to us, who has hid his face from the house of Jacob. I will look for him, Israel says. And they've been looking. And now, and now the Lord's coming back again. And they're so glad. And what a strange sight it was. So this is a miracle to them as well. This is the hand of the Lord to them as much as, as to, to Philistia. Because they see the same two cows with their udders full of milk and they're crying for their little babies. Coming. And amazingly, it goes and lands beside the rock Abel. It stops at the rock. It chooses the field of Joshua. A very important name in the Bible. Chooses the field of Joshua to stop. That's not an accident. That's design. The Holy Spirit is showing all of this in the camera. To take note of these things. So they see that this is the Lord. He's come back again. I've said in the past it's like an exodus. All the language of exodus is found in these chapters. And the plagues in Philistia. And now the ark is redeemed. It's redeemed out of Philistia. And the Egyptians, remember, they were spoiled. So the people of God came out with jewels and with gold and with lead and with riches. And here's the ark coming with, with the gold and glory of Philistia. It's not coming back empty-handed. So there's a, there are parallels here with, with the Exodus. And the people are glad and they're rejoicing. And this is a victory and a sign of triumph to them. Philistia can't hold its prey. The Lord has broken the bars of Philistia. He's destroyed the gods of Philistia. He destroyed the gods of Egypt. And he's got them out the victory. And he's coming out, out of the humiliation. He's coming out of death. Like our Lord Jesus Christ. The humiliation is past. It's over. And now it's a triumph of victory. And the people of God can be glad and rejoice. The sea's risen. The sea he's alive. The sea he still has the glory of the Father. And they rejoice. As we rejoice this day. That Christ is risen. And you know child of God. Maybe sometimes the Lord leaves you to yourself. And he hides his face. Sometimes the Lord does that. And sometimes we'll say, where's the Lord in my life? Oh, I miss the Lord. Where are those times of blessedness that I once knew when I first met the Lord? The Lord seems to have gone. He seems to have hidden his face. But he'll return. He'll come back again. The Lord can't stay away from his people. That's what we see here. He's been seven months away, but now he's coming back gloriously. He misses his people. He's coming back because he loves them. He's coming back because he wants fellowship with them again. He returns to his people. Oh, the Lord always returns to his people. He'll never forsake the people that he's redeemed with his blood utterly. Oh, he may hide his face for a little while. For a few days, a few weeks, a few months perhaps. He may hide his face, but he'll always return again. Well, it's good to know the Lord can't stay away from his people. Praise his name. He'll always come back again. Mighty power to drive the cart back again because he loves his people and he wants to dwell amongst them and he wants his glory to be revealed to them. Oh, may the Lord come among us and show us his glory.
manifest his presence. May we have the joy of the Beshemesh people and seeing the Lord even this morning. So they saw the Lord. Because you see, it's the Ark of the Covenant. And there's one thing about the Lord. He keeps covenant. He keeps covenant. And he keeps mercy. You'll be my people. I'll be your God. That, that's the essence of the covenant. And so the Ark of the Covenant is coming back. Because that's what he does. He keeps covenant. He's your God. He'll always be your God. He'll never leave you or forsake you. You've made him your God through faith in Christ. And he'll be your God always. Unto the end. And so he may say in a little wrath, I hid my face for a moment. But with everlasting kindness, I'll have mercy on thee. And that's, that's just the Lord. We sung of the covenant mercies this morning, didn't we? In Psalm 89. He keeps covenant and mercy. Incline your ear and come unto me. Here and your soul shall live, the Lord says, and I will make an everlasting covenant with you, even the sure mercies of David. And so the Lord has appeared of old unto us, the Bible says, and he says, I have loved thee with an everlasting love, and with cords of loving kindness have I drawn you. Just as he draws the ark along by these cows, they're being pulled along. They're being drawn along by the power of God. But not just the power of God. They're being drawn along by the love of God too. The love that he has for his people. The cords of love that are pulling them along to the people. So the Lord loves us. And let us keep his table tonight in remembrance of that. But then lastly our eyes. What, what do we see here? We've looked through Philistine eyes. We've looked through... Israelite eyes, but let's look at our own eyes at this remarkable portion. As I said, the exact stopping point is a rock, the stone of Abel. The exact stopping place is the field of Joshua. Joshua. Imagine the name Joshua here coming into the text. After this exodus, there's a Joshua who brings him into the land of promise. So the Holy Spirit is drawing our attention here to, to the Joshua. The cart leads them to the Joshua in the field and to the rock. And it arrives there at the rock. And that's what the Lord does. He leads us to the rock. He leads us to Joshua, to the Jesus, to the Savior. God is Savior. That's what the name means. God saves his people. And so we'll always be led to Christ. We'll always be led to the rock. The covenant-keeping God will always bring us to Christ. And to the rock of our salvation. Lead me to the rock. We sometimes pray. Lead me to the rock. That is higher than I. And here this cart being led to the rock. Lead us to Christ. To see Joshua. Our heavenly Joshua. And so it's led to Joshua. And you notice that the rock is abiding. Because it says there. It's abiding. It remains to this day. That's interesting. At the time that the, the prophet wrote this book, and maybe he was writing of a story that was years old, but he remembered the rock's still there. The rock hasn't changed. The rock is still preserved to this day. And brethren and sisters, Christ the rock is there to this day. The Holy Spirit has emphasized to this day. Even to this day here, the rock is still present. 
The rock is still the rock of salvation. The rock is still the Joshua who saves us to this very day. And at the rock there's a sacrifice and there's blood shedding and the atonement is made at the rock. The blood of sacrifice. And the Lord has shown it's not golden trinkets. It's not golden images. It's not golden mice and all the trinkets of the world and all the works of men's hands. No, the true atonement at the rock is the blood atonement, the sacrifice. And so we, we see these things here. I'm, I'm just quickly going through these things. But it is these cows particularly that we fix our eyes on. Two, two milk cows crying, they're crying, they're lowing. They're lowing for their babies. You know the text doesn't say they're calves. The Hebrew word is they're children. They're children. They're crying for their children. Because the Lord wants us to think about that. They won't go back to their children. Instead, they go to the land of promise. They follow on into the Lord's country, even against the cries of their children. They go on. These cows then show us how we ought to be out and out for God. How we ought to be driven by the Lord. How we ought to be people of one direction, one course, one way. Do your eyes see that this morning? Look at the two cows. The Lord wants you to look at the two cows. They're saying something to you today. You know, this portion strongly reminds me of Christ's entrance into Jerusalem. Because you remember the story. These cows have never been yoked. They've never been used by men. They've never pulled a cart. Yet, contrary to nature, they bear the Lord. And it reminds us, how you remember how the Lord sent the disciples? We read about it in the Gospels. Go to the village over against you. You'll find a colt tied. Never man sat on it. Hasn't been broke before. He hasn't been rid before. Bring him. The Lord has need of him. Bring him. And they brought him. And the Lord sat on the colt. And he rode into Jerusalem. The king. Riding into Jerusalem. And this ark is riding into the land of promise in a car that never man has sat on. The humility of it and yet the glory of it. It reminds us of that then. I think the Holy Spirit wants us to be reminded of that. The Lord has need of the colt and the Lord has need of these two cows and the Lord has need of you. And you should be like that colt as, as the preachers often say. And you should be like these two cows, as we said this morning. Do, do you see yourself? Are you like these beasts? Am I like these beasts? So these beasts would teach us. Ask them, question them. What will they tell you? We have to obey the Lord. We have no choice. We must obey the Lord. No matter what. No matter what the call upon our heart from that which is behind us, we have to obey the Lord. I have to obey the Lord. And so we read about these cows, what a testimony they are to the power of the Lord in their lives. They took the straight way to the way of Bashemish. They went along the highway, lowing as they went. They didn't turn aside, the Bible says, to the right hand or to the left hand. No going back. No turning aside. No going off the way. No losing the track. No coming from the highway. God has set a highway for his people. 
It's the way of holiness. It's called in the Bible the old paths. What does the Lord say? I make a way. A highway will be there. A way. It'll be called the way of holiness. The unclean won't tread it. God's people will walk it. And these cows are on the highway. They're on the way. The Lord says concerning his people. I bring the blind. Because of what we were you see. I bring the blind by a way. That they knew not. There'll be a new way for them. I'll lead them in paths that they have known. I'll make the darkness light before them. I'll illuminate the path. I'll make the crooked straight. And they'll go the straight course. All of these things will I do to them. The Lord says. I'll never forsake them. And you see that here in these two cows. A straight course. They don't, they don't go off at all. They don't look back. They don't turn back. What does the Bible say? Let thine eyes look right on. Let thine eyelids look straight before thee. Thy word a lamp to my feet. A light upon my way. To show the way. What did the apostle say to the Hebrews? Make straight paths for your feet. Lest that which is lame be turned out of the way. Oh, no turning aside, brethren and sisters. Oh, may the Lord keep us on the straight course. No, no turning to the side. Either to the left wing of things or to the right wing of things. But the straight and narrow of the righteous, holy ways of God. That's our course. Christ is our path. Remember how Paul said, Oh, so many are turned aside unto Satan. That some have come off the path and have gone after Satan himself in their ignorance. But let us not be like that. Let us not be diverted. Let us not be like Lot's wife. She'll look back. She'll just look back. And she turned into a pillar of salt. Brother and sisters, no looking back. Looking on to Jesus. The pilgrim before us who's finished the straight course himself. There he is at the end of it. No looking back. Looking on to Jesus. The first and greatest of all pilgrims. And we follow in his tracks. And so they're burying the Lord. They're carrying the Ark of the Covenant. They're carrying the glory to Israel. And that's what God's people have to do. We are vessels that bear the Lord. Everywhere we go, we carry the Lord. We bear the glory. And something of the glory of God ought to be seen in us as we travel the way. Are we bearing the glory of the Lord? Are we manifesting the brightness of God? And so these cows are doing that. Let's think about their babies, because that's what the Holy Spirit says, their children. Their children are calling them back. You know, there's some people who go back for their children. There's some people who will leave all for their family. What does the Lord say? He that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. He that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Oh, follow the Lord. You can still cry for your children. No harm crying for their children. I mean, it's interesting how the Holy Spirit picks up on the cries of cows. Why would the Holy Spirit do that? Why would he let us hear them cry? They're crying for their children. But they won't go back to their children. They're still going to the land of promise, but they're crying for their children. It's okay to cry for your children. But you can't go back to the world for them. You can't leave the Lord for them. But cry for them. Cry for them that somehow in the power and majesty of God, they'll come along. They'll follow the cry. 
They'll hear the crime and be brought into the land of promise themselves. Now they were locked up because sadly the Philistia locked up the children. But we have to cry. Never looking back but cry. Cry for your children. Cry unto the Lord for them night and day. Oh, cry. This reminds us of Hannah, doesn't it? It's interesting how the stories were all repeated in different ways. And Hannah, she brought her child. And she led him. She gave him up. She gave him up for the Lord. She didn't leave the Lord. She didn't break her vow. But she gave up the child, Samuel, for the Lord. And she loathed for him. She cried for him, no doubt. And that's why he was kept. Didn't we see he was kept from wolves? Why was he kept from the wolves? Because he had a lowing mother who was, who was crying, who was praying for him and that he might be preserved. And, and these cows work together. So they do, as God's people ought to do. You know, you're not a single cow pulling the Lord all alone by yourself. We're not independents on our own. No, we're, we're brethren and sisters. We're laborers together. We're, we're fellow yoked yoke together as believers and we'll pull and bear the ark of the Lord together for God. Let's labor together. Let's not fight and bicker and pull against the other and hurt one another and break one another. No, we have only one mission, brethren and sisters. Together. To, to kill the Lord. To pull God's glory through the land and nation. So, so may we be laborers together. And they laid down their lives. Imagine that. They pulled the whole way. They done all of that for the Lord. Crying for their children all the way. And then they're slaughtered at the end. God's people have to be prepared to lay down their lives for God. They don't know how sad the end may be for us. But to the very end. Right to the stone Abel. Who was the first martyr. Who was the first one who laid down his life for the Lord. Right to the very stone Abel. Right, right, right to the fields of Joshua. To the end. Led down their lives. They didn't love their lives. Unto death. But they led them down. And you know. The Philistine lords are watching this all. As we carry the Lord and bear him. The world's eyes are upon us. They're watching us. Is the hand of God in this? Is the hand of God in his life? Is the hand of God in her life? They're watching. They may never convert them, but they're watching, and they're watching to see, is God's hand on your life, on my life? Do we have the hand of the Lord upon us? And these Philistine lords, they're going back, oh, the hand of the Lord was in those cows. So the people say, he has the Lord's hand in his life. Or may we be a church of which the people can say, the Lord is there. The Lord's hand is upon us. So are our lives witnesses. And do we rebuke them by our lives? Which is the best way to rebuke somebody, by the way, brethren and sisters. The rebuking business is a difficult business. It must be done by words, especially by the preacher and the ministry. But the best way to rebuke people is, is by our life, really. Does it tell for God? Do they see you on a straight course? Do they see you meek and lowly? Do they see you humble? Do they see you broken? Do they see tears for souls? 
Do they see you following the Lord? Do they see you don't go to the left or to the right? You're just, you're just a man of one, one, one path. Does the world see this? Maybe that's why people aren't being saved in very great numbers today. There are few sights to see like this. Cows being really driven by the Lord. Above all, congregation, is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Are you in union to him, joined to him, traveling with him, wherever you go? Union to Christ is the essence of us all. So so where are you in the scene this morning? Are you a Philistine? Just watching, halting between two opinions, but never going on to follow the Lord, going back to Philistia. Are you like these two cows, journeying with the Lord to the end? Let us pray.